Thursday, everyone. Hopefully you're ready for a uh, another day of life and another day of adventure, another day of uh, just all kinds of things. So <clears throat> I apologize. I wasn't here yesterday. I did try to post something. I, I realized that later in the evening on uh, Tuesday, I probably wasn't going to get home until 11, 1130 or so at night. Uh, after having probably driven in some rain and some fog, which I did drive. I was in Portland, South Portland, Cape Elizabeth, to be precise, uh, on Tuesday night for our Portland convocation for New England Bible College. And uh, fantastic time that we had down there. Um, but uh, it was a rather, rather, rather long day. And, and after uh, having raced for four or five, six days in a row, 
I just knew I needed to get a little bit of extra rest. So I got that yesterday morning, just 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 enough to to get me over uh, feeling some energy coming back. Although I will say I was tired yesterday quite a bit. So uh, yes, it is dark out the window, absolutely. Uh, although the sun is coming up here, uh, we're getting into that time of year where uh, you know fall is nearly here, and uh, so we, we're going to see more and more darkness out that window behind me, Walter. Yes, we will. We are in Matthew chapter 4. We've been considering the temptation of Jesus. Uh, there is quite a bit here to consider. Uh, that's why this is now the third session. Uh, plus, I've kind of shortened things up a little bit. That that kind of causes us to go a bit longer in some of these passages. But it hopefully every day gives you something to uh Mull over in your mind, something to uh, castigate upon, uh, something to meditate upon, something to think about, questions to ask, things to further research. Um, that's the goal. Uh, the goal is that the Holy Spirit be your teacher. The goal is that that you live as a, a fully devoted follower of Christ. The goal is that you gain something you can share with somebody else. So. You know, if, if I fill you right up to the top with too much, then you might not have something to share with somebody else. But but if you could walk away every day with something to share with somebody else, maybe it's a non-Christian you get to share something with. Maybe it's another Christian that you get to share something with to try to uh, push them along in their spiritual journey. And uh, that would be our goal. Uh Oops, to, to help uh, another person grow up uh, in their faith. And not only grow up in their faith, the idea of growing up in our faith or being mature, there are people who think, you know, being spiritually mature is um, knowing lots of the Bible. Uh, there are people who think that spiritually mature is um, always dressing just in the proper way. Some people think that uh, being spiritually mature is um, that you're always at the church or involved in a church activity. Can I suggest to you that that none of those really are the definition of spiritual maturity? They're really not. Uh, they, they might be part of it or they might not even be part of it. I mean, you can you can dress well and not be Christian at all. Um you, you can be at the church for, for all the occasions uh, and all the things that are happening. Now, in, in the former days, days long ago, the church doors were open Sunday morning twice uh, for Sunday school and morning worship, then Sunday evening, and then Wednesday evening, and usually at least one committee meeting a week. And that's if you were a good Christian, you did all those things. Um, yet there were people who did all those things, and yet if you talk to people out in public, not so much a good Christian. Spiritual maturity is when we're like our teacher. Uh, that That is spiritual maturity, to become like Jesus and to live like Jesus. That is spiritual maturity. Now, I'm not saying to go lay your head on a rock. I'm not saying that. But in terms of what are his priorities, what is his character, that our life would, would be like his in that way, that is spiritual maturity. So to help somebody else live in spiritual maturity. In fact, spiritual maturity uh, includes elements of helping other people grow spiritually. 
non-Christians, helping them see Christ and see the gospel and understand the gospel and be challenged to to consider the gospel. That is that is a part of helping other people, uh, helping other Christians realize it's and not just surviving life. Yes, we help each other. We we encourage each other in 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 life. That is part of our spiritual maturity to encourage other people spiritually, uh, but then also to encourage them in their growth, to encourage them in their service, to encourage them to help encourage somebody else. Uh, that that is uh, all a part of that process of uh, of helping people to grow. So. I just I want to encourage you to uh, thinking about something that I'd like to show you, but I don't have it in the office right here, helping other people grow spiritually. So um, growing maturity that way. Let's get into the text this morning. Okay, we have covered some of this. We've covered aspects of this. Let's pick it up. Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. We spent quite a bit of time talking about that on Monday. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. We spent quite a bit of time talking about fasting uh, on Tuesday. And then it says, the tempter came and tempted him. And if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Uh, We talked about that aspect of uh, our, our sustenance being doing the things that God wants us to do. Uh, That is what gives us sustenance. That is what gives us encouragement. That is what gives us strength, doing the things that God wants us to do. Uh, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every every word that comes from the mouth of God. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, we really didn't get into um, very much. We, we, We... Worked our way through this passage um, somewhat on Tuesday, but to think of the various aspects of the temptation, you you look at verse 4, what had Jesus just done? I mean, he had just spent 40 days in the desert fasting, uh, and you would think at the end of the 40 days he would be hungry. Now, now, if you've done a longer fast, uh, and I've not done... the 40-day fast, I've done a 21-day fast, um, I will tell you, I mean, day one, you begin thinking about you're hungry. Uh, and then after you get into it a few days, then, then you're kind of okay for a few days. Uh, but then you go from that few days and, and you get into like day five, and all of a sudden you're starting to think the weekend's coming. Maybe I should just give myself a little cheat break. Well, when, you're, when you've committed to a spiritual fast, for a certain length of time that pushes beyond that cheat time, you don't cheat. Uh, otherwise, you've broken the fast. Otherwise, in, in essence, you've broken the vow uh, that you've made that I'm going to fast for X number of days. Now, it, if you break the vow, it's not like it's the end of the world. It's, okay, well, I guess I didn't make it. Just say that. But that that temptation, especially the weekend, to think, uh, I'd like to go out to Darby's or I'd like to go out to anglers or I'd like to go out to just barbs or I'd like to go wherever and uh, but you don't cheat so there's there's a weightiness of temptation that comes there another part of this idea uh, of this fast is you get in the second week and you know your body adjusts you again hit about two weeks and and there's other temptations that come or other feelings you can have headaches uh 
that's part of a, a lengthy fast. Talking about all this, just because I, I want to talk about the fact that, you know, Jesus had fasted 40 days, and so the tempter comes to him and says to him, man, uh, tell these stones to become bread. That's verse 3, and Jesus answered, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, the, the enemy is going to tempt you in an area of weakness, and we would be weak during a fast. Jesus was weak during a fast. He came right to the immediate needs, at least the perceived needs, and and, and I would go further than the perceived needs or even the perceived desires, we need to eat. So for the tempter to come to him, he came to to him in a place of need. And sometimes that's where Satan will tempt us, is in the place of need. Yeah, and then the devil took him to the holy city. In verse 5 is the next thing. Uh, It had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So there's physical temptation about food in verse 4, verse uh, verse 3 and 4, verse 5 and 6. The devil took him to the holy city, had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Uh, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, is also written to not put the Lord your God to the test. So he attacks him spiritually. Uh, in a spiritual way, he comes and says, just trust God with everything. The first one is, hey, go ahead and eat. The first one is, you know, uh, go go down to the general store and get a little snack. Now, because we can't turn stones into bread uh, or boards uh, into pizzas or something like that. We don't have that ability, So, but we might run down to the general store or uh, might run across the street to Dollar General, uh, whatever it might be. So there's the food temptation, but now there's the spiritual temptation. Just just throw yourself out there and trust God. Uh, and, and sometimes that is the approach that we are encouraged to take. You know, just throw yourself out there and trust God. Uh, well, when there are principles, when there are precepts, when there are laws, there is a law that was uh, in play here uh, in the life of Jesus. It's the same law that is in in play for you and I, that if a, uh, let's say you're getting some eggs out of the fridge and you happen to set one on the shelf in the fridge, while you're reaching for another egg, that egg rolls and happens to come off the shelf. What direction will it head? You know where it's going to head. It's going to splat right down either on the bottom of the fridge or on the floor. That's exactly what's going to happen to that egg. There is a law called the law of gravity. And Jesus knew the law of gravity was going to be in play for him. There are principles. And sometimes we will be tempted by the flesh. Sometimes we'll be tempted by our our adversary. Sometimes we'll be tempted with... uh, poor teaching that just says, just just throw yourself out there. Now, sometimes you've weighed all the principles. Sometimes you've considered all the laws. Sometimes it, it, there's a sense that this is a direction you're supposed to go, and it isn't totally clear, but it's decision time. You have to make a decision. And, and in certain measure, sometimes you cross that threshold and say, I'm going to take a step, and I'm just going to trust God in this. And so that's what you do. You, you take a step, you trust God in this, and... Uh, um, and that's that's not like 
testing the Lord. Testing the Lord is like, Lord, I'm just going to throw myself out there, see what happens. I mean, that can be testing the Lord. The, the, part of the Christian life, part of Christian maturity is to learn how to study God's word for its direction, to study it, what does it say about money, to study it, what does it say about marriage, to study it, what does it say about parenting, to study it, what does it say about business, to study it, what does it say about uh, uh, debt, to study it, what does it say about neighbors, uh, what does it say about enemies, what do, and just... There's any number of varying thoughts that uh, that you might think about, and uh, so I I do want to encourage us. The fact the matter is to be a student of the word is to say what does God's word instruct me about this, and go there first to find out what the instruction is, and and then um, follow after the instruction, the principle, the precept that God has given. The difference between a principle and a precept is a principle is like. If you're coming off the uh, on-ramp onto the highway, there's a there's a sign that says yield. That means slow down, pay attention to the cars that are already on the highway. You're supposed to slow down for them. It doesn't mean that those on the highway are supposed to slow down for you. Uh, it means the opposite. Slow down, look around, and then proceed. That that is that is a principle. Uh, a precept is a stop sign. If you don't stop, you might just be getting hit. Uh, there's a, there's a, a red light down in uh, Portland that uh, I didn't notice a couple times as I was driving down on 77 South uh, in over across the bridge. Um, it's kind of up behind the trees and around the corner slightly. And I, I think I probably ran that red light a time or two because I didn't even see it there. And I, another time I was coming down on that highway and, uh, the cars were stopped. I'm like, what are they looking at? I'm trying to find out where in the world is a stop sign or a stoplight. And, oh, there is one way up there. I didn't see it. That means stop. I mean, it's a good thing there weren't cars coming. I could have gotten hit, caused an accident, something like that. Stop means stop. God's word gives us laws that stop means stop. I mean, it means what it says. Um, and But yet Satan was tempting him in verse 6 with, uh, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, I know that I, I covered some of this already. I know this is a little bit of rehash, but I wanted to be thorough on this section. Notice how Satan can use Scripture. It is written, he says. In fact, uh, a few different times, but, but Satan tries to uh, use scripture against us. You you better believe that our adversary knows the word of God. You better believe that that our adversary knows how to to turn things uh, uh, and deceive us. That is why it is important that we be good students of scripture. That is why it is important that we. Um, learn how to study it and follow proper uh, hermeneutical technique. Hermeneutics, that's a big word for study the right way. That's what that means, hermeneutics. Study. There, there is a right way. You, you read the words as they are written. Uh, you, you, you keep them in the context in which they are in. You don't lift them out. You consider the immediate context of Scripture. Uh, what what do the verses around that verse say? But then you consider, you pan out, that like that I talked yesterday, that 
foot view and say, what does all of Scripture say about this particular topic so that you understand it properly? It is very, very possible to to take a verse. Um, and and uh, there's a story of a man, and it's kind of an illustration of a man who opened his Bible up one day and just kind of let it fall open, put his finger on a verse, um, and said, that'll be my verse to think about for today, and God will have something for me in this verse. So um, he put his finger on the verse that says, Jesus, uh, Judas hanged himself. Hmm, what are we supposed to think about? Uh, the next day, he does the same thing. And this, this is in some ways a, a poor illustration giving the situation, which will, will lead me to a situation that, for which we need to pray. Uh, the next day, he does the same thing, opens up his Bible, puts his finger on a verse, and it says, uh, go and do thou likewise. Hmm. Complete different context, but he puts days, day one, day one's verse with day two's verse Day three, he opens it up, puts his finger on a verse, and again, this is maybe even satanic direction. Uh, day one, Judas hanged himself, go and do thou likewise, and then day three says, go uh, what thou do, do us quickly. I mean, that is a bad illustration of, of the way some people approach Bible study, and it can lead to all kinds of very, very, very bad things. We study things, you, you look at the surrounding verses, you consider the context of the preceding verse or the preceding paragraph or, or the, the verses that come after. It's so critical, folks, that we learn how to handle the Word of God aright. The enemy, Satan, will use spiritual-sounding jargon, spiritual-sounding words, spiritual-sounding arguments, spiritual-sounding teaching, spiritual-sounding messages, spiritual-sounding churches to get us to do the things that are contrary to the revealed will of God by the written Word of God. So we, we need to be students of Scripture. I hope that that has come through abundantly clearly um, because here we see in this temptation account, you read the same thing over in Luke about how Satan would come very directly. Luke chapter 4, you, you read the same thing. Um, it is written. So down in verse, uh, back in Matthew chapter 4, Sorry, as I look at things, I see things. So, you know, tempt yourself. Attempt, just just throw it out there. Uh, verse 6, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, that is a Bible verse. One of the things we could do would be to go back to where that Bible verse is found, and that is found in Psalm 91, uh, and so you could go back to Psalm 91. Notice the heading, my refuge and fortress. Talks about he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The idea that we will go dwell, go live in the shelter of God. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and whom I trust. And, and, and that we would say that to ourselves. Perhaps today you need God to be your refuge. You need God to be your fortress my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. 
His faithfulness will be your shield rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the error that flies by day. I mean, if, if you are resting confidently in God, you rest under his protection and know that if, if some harm befalls you, it is within the will of God. Verse 7 says, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. I mean, we could have argument about this and say, yeah, but I have experienced disaster. I have experienced heartache. Yes, I have experienced these these challenging, difficult things. And then you get into verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Um, you will tread upon the lion and cobra. You will t- trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. Notice it's the Lord saying, because he or she, because this person loves me, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He or she will call upon me, and I will answer. Uh, I will be with them in trouble. I will deliver him or her, the person, uh, and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation, the idea of choosing to make God a refuge. But see, here is this verse um, about the angels in verse 12. That, that is where Satan quotes from is in Psalm 91, verse 12, using Scripture to deceive Jesus. Satan will use Scripture to deceive us. That is why we need to be uh, students of the Word Verse 8 said the devil took him to a very high mountain. And notice the things he appeals to. He appeals to just throw yourself out there and trust God. And then in verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of this world. So he appeals, and I know we covered some of this yesterday, he appeals to the to the lust of the eyes, as Walter has mentioned in his comments here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. Uh, so some of it's the, the lust of the eye. Uh He showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all the splendor, all the riches, all the gold, all the jewelry, all the big buildings, uh, all the great food. He showed him all these things. And Satan says, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. I mean, there's something that could be said for the the, the, uh, trifold. temptations that Satan brought to him, Uh, but certainly something can be said about Jesus' response. Jesus responded with the Word of God. Jesus responded with Scripture. Uh, And, you know, the question of angels, do angels attend us? Well, we are told in Hebrews that angels uh, are sent as ministering servants uh, let me go back there, and I can show you this. Uh, now, some people get very, uh, very, very, very excited about um, angels. Uh, I'm grateful for angels. Um, grateful. Uh, however, I am more excited 
about the Holy Spirit. I'm more excited about the Lord Jesus. I'm more excited about my Heavenly Father. But we need to know our Heavenly Father. I mean, I, I, has provided for us angels to minister to us, to to do bidding for us, to do work, to do protection, to do all these different things. Some want to uh, uh, make so little of angels, perhaps making so little in response to those who make too much of angels. And one of the things that happens in our world too often is the pendulum swing. Someone is over here, so we're going to go the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we saw it in the 70s with charismatic movement. Th those that were charismatic somewhat way over on the far, far side uh, of, of uh, charismatic Pentecostalism, and, and uh, others responded by almost denying the reality of the Holy Spirit, almost. They'd say, well, I would leave the Holy Spirit, but but they, they missed the biblical uh the biblical middle, the, the biblical truth because of uh, reaction, because of response. And there are some people who do the same thing with angels, that we shouldn't make so much of angels. I, I know some uh, faith traditions, they'll wear little angels on their lapels and they'll, you know, they'll pray to angels and whatnot. Friends, we are not to pray to angels. In fact, we're not even to pray to saints. We're not even told to pray to Mary, frankly. And I, I know if I have uh, Catholic friends, I just want to encourage you, where says it in Scripture to pray to Mary? Uh, we are to pray directly to the Lord Jesus. Uh, there's nothing that says that, that Mary continues in heaven in some, some heavenly role. Uh, nothing that says that saints continue in some heavenly role. Angels may do our bidding, but our prayers always, always, always go to God. Now, I want to show you this about angels, though, because angels do work on our behalf, and there are two sets of angels. There are the holy angels, uh, and there are the wicked angels that we would call devils or demons. Uh, both are, are busy in our world doing their work, but in the book of Hebrews, um, verse 7, chapter 1, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. Uh, and and we uh, we talk about um, how the angels, or the book of Revelation, I should say, talks about how the angels go to the four winds of the earth and, and they will do the uh, the sorting out of the wheat and the chaff and those types of things. We read that in Revelation. We read it later on in the book of Matthew. It's there as well uh, about how the angels do their works. But then you get down into verse 14. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The angels do work on our behalf. They do. And uh, so we need to know this. Uh, I, I'm talking about this because it says at the end of the temptation account, angels came and ministered to Jesus. Very interesting place back in the book of First Kings. Uh, somewhat similar. Let me take you there. Uh, let me make sure I'm going to the right passage here. First uh, Kings chapter 19, 
Elijah has just defeated the uh, 850 false prophets. There were 400 and 450, two different sets, total 850. He's defeated them. Actually, God has defeated them. It's a major spiritual victory, and yet uh, Elijah flees the situation because Jezebel, the queen, is after him. Uh, and um, so he goes out, and it says in verse 3, 1 Kings 19, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert. This sounds kind of like Jesus and the disciples. Very interesting parallel. Uh, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Now, this is called an angel. But you just notice uh, he, was, he was told to get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is take a nap or have a snack. Really. I mean, it's right here. It's in the text. The angel Lord came back. It says he looked around. He ate, drank. He lay down again. Then it says the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. Get up and eat for the journey is is too much for you. So he got up and ate, drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days, 40 nights, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he'll go on and have this incredible encounter with God. He's in the in the valley of soul, uh, probably the, 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 uh, the dark place of soul. And in the midst of this, in 1 Kings, it's a fantastic story. I encourage you to go back and read it after I wrap up this broadcast. Uh, God meets him. Sometimes God meets us in the in the dark places. Sometimes God meets us as we are feeling depressed or dejected or defeated or discouraged or disillusioned or any of these things. Uh, and notice what God gave him. God gave him rest. That's why I took the morning yesterday morning. God gave him rest. God gave him food. The angel, it says up in uh, verse 5, an angel Verse 7 says, the angel. Now, some would make much about this, that, that they would say that uh, an angel is just referring to a garden variety angel. The angel of the Lord is referring to the Lord himself. Uh, I don't know that I want to parse it out that much, except I just want to uh, underscore what we were talking about earlier. Um, we were uh, talking about the... Uh, the fact that angels uh, ministered to Jesus at the end of the temptation. Jesus, uh, angels are sent to be ministering servants to us. We read that in the book of Hebrews, the first chapter, uh, the, the last verse. And now we see here an illustration of the Old Testament of angels sent to be ministering spirits uh, in that kind of a way. So um, angels attend us. Now, I, I do want to go back and just kind of interact just a little bit with, with a few of the comments uh, that are here. Um, angels do attend us. Now, some think that when we die, we become angels. That's not true. Uh, we don't become angels. Uh, angels were, were pre-created by God uh, in creation, at the time of creation. Uh, we do not read anywhere in the text of Scripture that he's pumping out new angels. 
Uh, and certainly the, script, the text of Scripture does not teach that when we die, we become angels. Uh, now, angels can show up in earthly form. In fact, let me show you another passage here in Hebrews speaking about angels. Uh, Hebrews 13th chapter, verse 2 uh, verse 1 says, keep on loving each other as brothers. So we're told to keep on loving each other. And because of this love that we have, verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers. By uh, For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. And there are Old Testament uh, examples, especially in the life of Abraham, encountering angels in this type of a way. Uh, Lot encountered angels in this type of a way. Uh, we so we're just told to to not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Um, so, having said that, uh, there's a question here, and I got to go back up. I said I was going to interact with a few comments here. I, I don't know. Other than the fact that the question is asked, are angels male or female? Scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, it does say in uh, th that there were male-appearing angels because the, these people, these men who appeared to Abraham uh, or to Lot or to other characters in the Old Testament uh, tended to be men. But that doesn't mean that they are all men. Sometimes we think angels, or we always picture angels as women, but all the appearances of angels in Scripture uh, are men. And uh, But the Bible doesn't say uh, definitively if there are male or female. We know as they appear in a human form, uh, they have appeared as male, but that is not to say that there aren't those who would also appear as female. That would be a good one to study out a little bit further. Again, what does the text of Scripture say? To my knowledge, it does not tell us clearly. Um, Don said, I believe Jessica to be an angel to me because she brought me to these broadcasts and has brought me back to Christ. We're thankful for that testimony, Don. Uh, those types of testimonies uh, keep me going and, and doing this. I love to teach. I love to do what I'm doing here. Uh, these days, life is uh, a little over-the-top busy, but uh, uh, that should level out here, hopefully, in the next two or three months, I hope. so. Uh, but then uh, another comment here, uh, my biggest issues with Catholicism is the praying to saints and to the Virgin Mary. Again, I, I, I don't... Uh, I have very dear, in fact, we've had very dear people that have been a part of this broadcast uh, family uh, who are Catholic in their background. And so I, I, I tend to make it a practice to not go on the attack and on the offensive and, uh, of, uh, because these, these are brothers and sisters who dearly love Jesus, some, some of whom uh, demonstrate more love for Christ than some of us Protestant people do. Uh, but uh, if we were having a conversation, I I, I would say, um, I I would certainly say to them what I've said this morning that I, I just don't see in Scripture where it says anything about praying to the saints. Uh, I mean, there are saints in heaven uh, around the throne worshiping God, but I I always see that our prayers are to be directed to God Himself, 
and uh, you know uh, to saints to Mary, you know I, I I I yeah Mary should be honored among women as 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 the mother of Jesus, no doubt about that. But she died an earthly death, just like all people die an earthly death. And uh, Lord willing, because of who she was, she also is is in heaven. Uh, also, will spend eternity with her son, uh, with the son, with her savior Jesus. Um, but I, I tend to not want to be in arguments about those types of things and be combative. Now, I know some some Christian, some Protestant Christians who would want to be combative uh, because of the experiences and encounters I've had with some Catholics who who are much more committed in their faith. It's like eh, I'm not going to go on the attack mode. But I, I would, if we're having a conversation, I'd say I just—it's something I don't see there. I—I I, I would say this: I think any church, Protestant or Catholic, can add things to the teaching that that uh, are extra biblical, that are that go beyond the Scripture, that maybe even could become unbiblical. And that's the, those are the things that we have to be aware of, whether it's the faith, uh, the prosperity movement, prosperity gospel. Uh, many of us view that as a heretical movement, and uh, at least it, it's, it's off kilter, off base, um, um, attributing the gospel more to our own prosperity than to, you know, uh, snatching us from the fires of hell um, because of the mercy of God. Yeah, because it tells us we deserve so much. I, I deserve nothing. I am a child. Am, am I a child of God? Absolutely. I live by the grace of God, by the mercy of God. We all live by the grace and by the mercy of God. Um, and, and if if God would would choose to bless me with uh, things, praise God. Uh, I'll give thanks for that. Uh, but if God doesn't choose to, then I, I'm no less. I have so much in Jesus, and that is where my focus needs to be. Now, I I want to I want to end the broadcast by by encouraging us to pray for a family. Um, now that I, I've seen some posting and whatnot uh, on Facebook, uh, I, I I can share that we had a church family who had a family member commit suicide on. Um, A few days ago, uh, Tuesday, Monday night into Tuesday, I think, and uh, it, that probably won't come out that way. Maybe I shouldn't have quite put it that way, but uh, it's. I just want to encourage us to be prayerful for this family that has lost a loved one. It doesn't matter how someone dies. When someone dies, it's hard. It's painful, especially when it is sudden. And unexpected that happens through motorcycle accidents, that happens through car accidents, uh, that happens through things like heart attacks and things uh, of this nature. Um, but uh, I just want to encourage us to be be prayerful, mindful. There are no words. What can you say? Um, and, and it wasn't somebody within the church, but family members within our church. Uh, people who are part of our church family had had a relative that uh, they they were awakened to this very sad news um, on uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, I got the call after the broadcast, and uh, I, I'm trying to learn to let things work their uh, 
work their course before I, I say too much. But uh, certainly you can you can be prayerful for uh, the Rollins families uh, with with the loss of a relative in their in their family. Um, certainly the cousin of Dean, a, a nephew of uh, Roger and uh, Brenda, and uh, also the. Uh, uh, family member, a brother of of somebody here in, in the town of Morrill. So just as, as people uh, experience such grief, we, we pray for them uh, in their loss. I mean, this goes back to what we talked about with Elijah here a little bit ago about how, uh, how he was disillusioned and, and said he wanted to die. Sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes Christians end up in the place where, where they're just so, so saddened. Uh, or so depressed, uh, or, or life is so pressed in against them that, that people end up in that place. That's where we need to support each other. That's where we need to be aware of each other. That's where we need to pray for each other, to love on each other, to listen to each other, to meet each other's needs so that we can mitigate these types of things from happening. Um, Lord, we come before you this morning. We want to thank you for the teaching of Scripture. We thank you for the ministering angels that are sent to minister to us in our need. Uh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who demonstrated for us how to overcome temptation. He who was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. We thank you for his example. Lord, help us to be more and more and more students of the word so that we can live the Christian life in the way that honors you. Uh, Father, uh, this morning... We do want to pray for those who grieve, uh, especially this this immediate tragedy of which we've spoken, Lord, that you would minister healing to this family. Help help us to know what to say and what not to say, and when just to stay silent or when to say there are just no words, but we, we're here to grieve with you. So, Father, we, we look to you. Uh, we lift these families to you and in, in the heartache uh, and the loss and a family member, a father, a husband, a, a community member, a friend uh, that has passed on. Lord, we, we pray for this family. We pray for the uh, raising of funds uh, for this uh, dear woman who's uh, they're raising funds to help with final expense costs and things. So, Father, would, would you minister to them? We lift to you these burdens and these prayers. In the name of Jesus, and has been said already in the comments, we always conclude with, Lord, hear our prayer. I'll see you tomorrow, everyone.